Hey, everybody, how are you doing well? It is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. Hope you're doing well. Free Domain, you keep saying. Free Domain, why, why, why not Free Domain Radio? What is so bad about radio? Well, uh, other than the fact that it's, uh, well, it's kind of old school by now. But uh, yeah, we are working on a new website, freedomain.com. We drop in the radio like Radio Shack goes to whatever the hell Radio Shack is now. So we're going to keep Free Domain because, well, frankly, I just love it. I love the Free Domain name. It's one of the great things I've created in my life, along with a child who draws dragons all the time. But Free Domain is great because freedom is the main thing. Free domain, free domain, you domain. And also because um, freedom should be your main goal in life. Freedom should be your main objective in life. So the new website is, is coming along and it's going to be nice and uh, it's going to have a nice place for articles, uh, which has been a little scattered lately. It's got a nice place for books, so you can read them directly online. Uh, almost all of my books are free, of course. And so I am uh, <clears throat> very pleased uh, to announce that. And again, if you want to help out the site, uh, I'm taking super chats, of course, and um, I will be uh, accepting donations as always, of course, if you'd like to help out the show. Free domain, actually, you could just go to free domain, it'll redirect you right now, but freedomainradio.com forward slash donate at the moment, and uh, you can help out the show. You can drop in a PayPal donations, you can use a bank card, you can use a Visa. And uh, you don't have to have a PayPal account, but it certainly doesn't hurt. And you can, of course, help out with cryptocurrencies as well. There are a bunch of addresses as well. So freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. So um, welcome. <laughs> welcome to your Monday evening. Boy, do I know how to schedule them or what? Um, I'm very, very pleased to be able to chat with you guys tonight. And uh, sorry, just going to reach over here in a totally professional manner and uh, get the mouse for the other other computer and uh, let's uh, let's dive straight in you know I always have these opening topics and then what happens is you guys have such great questions let's see here 78.26 says was Joey Smallwood wrong to want Newfoundland to join Canada in 1949 it seems that Ottawa and Quebec have taken advantage of Newfoundland e.g. poor Churchill Falls hydropower deal transfer payments currently going to Quebec well <laughs> I'm sure that you know out there in the universe, in the multiverse, as a good a set of uh, uh, details about how Newfoundland joined Canada in 1949. Uh, he didn't want to join <laughs> Canada. Newfoundland was bribed into joining Canada. They just opened up the Bombay of debt money until Newfoundland joined. And uh, Churchill Falls hydropower deal, transfer payments currently going to Quebec. Ontario, where I live, used to be what's called a have province and now it is a have-not province because socialism, uh, immigration, welfare, all, all the usual garbage that drags down an economy is going on here as well. But the most important thing I think that happened in uh, Newfoundland over the, well, since the 1949 joining is they completely destroyed and decimated to the point where it can never ever recover the cod industry. Now the cod industry was absolutely amazing when Jacques Cartier and, and others first found these kinds of resources in Canada, it was said that you could walk from the fishing boat to the shore 
on the backs of the fish. That's how many fish there were off Newfoundland. It was a resource that was maintained for 400 years. They didn't take too many. They didn't take too few. They got the Goldilocks portion just about right. Then what happened was the federal government took over and started issuing all these quotas and local, like the way that you keep these kinds of resources that are not privately owned, right? I mean, the ocean is not privately owned, the fish are not privately owned until you haul them into your net and so on, is you have a bunch of people around who know each other. There's social ostracism if you fish too much. Uh, there's agreements, there's you know community, and, and that's how you maintain the resource. When you hand it over to the federal government, they just start handing out all of these quotas. Oh, you can just go do this, that, and the other. You can, you can catch as much as you want to. And, and they want to say you can catch as much as possible because it makes people feel wealthy and then makes them want to vote for the left. And it did not take long. I mean, it did not take long until one of the truly great resources on the planet was utterly destroyed. Utterly destroyed in an orgy of statism, of greed, of cover-up from the mainstream media. And uh, <clears throat> it was brutal. And now somebody's here saying, Spain fished it out. It's like, well... <laughs> Canada has a whole defense budget, so what the hell was Spain doing there? Fishing it out, right? So no, it was, uh, it was not just that. I actually wrote an article on this. You know, it's funny because working on the new website today, I went back to my blogspot, freedomain.blogspot.com. And um, I always forget like the deep history for me. I, all of you guys who are here that are new, it's great. But the deep history, I wrote my first article in, what was it, April of... 2004. Didn't have any more hair back then, but uh, it was uh, really quite astounding. It was, um, well, it's 15 years ago, right? 15 years ago, almost. That is an amazing thing to me. I mean, to be sitting here having a chat with the world about all of this stuff from back then writing articles. This is before I became a father. Uh, I was newly married. And it was uh, just an amazing time, an amazing time to work through a whole series of ideas that have formed the foundation of the backbone of what I've done ever since. The statelessness, the non-aggression principle. I hadn't thought so much about parenting at the time, although I was certainly working on my own historical issues in that regard. But uh, yeah. All right. So back to Newfoundland. Yeah, you guys should get out. Alberta should, I mean, just, it's sinking ship. See, here's the problem. The... The issue is that when you have the requirement for English and French to be a politician, and I understand all the reasons for it, I'm just saying that when you have that requirement, then the people who grow up speaking French and speaking English are going to be vastly more competent in the kind of language competence you need to engage in political debates and speak to people without an accent, right? They don't want to hear some Alberta French school accent. So when you have this situation where you have to have more than one language, and in America, of course, it's the same with, with Spanish and English, and I'm sure soon to be Arabic. And then what happens is, why are so many prime ministers from Quebec? Well, it's quite simple, because Quebec, through Pierre Elliott Trudeau, rammed through, you have to have French everywhere. Before that, I mean, lots of the uh, prime ministers, Diefenbaker and so on, they don't speak French. Are not super well. 
So when you say, well, you've got to speak English and French, you can't compete with people who grow up speaking French when you study it in school for 45 minutes a day, right? You just can't compete, right? And so what happens is when you force this multilingualism on the country, it means that political power concentrates in Quebec. And Justin Trudeau, in 2010, you can find the video on YouTube, he said, Canada belongs to Quebec. And all of these transfer payments pouring in to Quebec, um, uh, this is basically taxes on other provinces that go towards Quebec, they've just enabled this massive culture of corruption. And of course, so having all of this um, mob activity in Quebec, particularly Montreal and the construction industry, having all of this money come pouring in from the country uh, uh, as a whole, and having this political power concentrated because of the multilingual requirement. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it's like going for a job at McDonald's, right? And, and you don't speak Spanish that well, or maybe you took it in school for a little bit, but other people, other people um, who grow up speaking Spanish and English just outcompete you for the job. Uh, this is one of the problems with multilingual societies, at least ones that are top down from the States. So, yeah, it's, uh, it would be much better off as an independent. Uh, it would have its own issues. Like, if there was no EU, uh, Greece and, and Italy and France, they would all have their own issues, but they could solve them without this claustrophobic overarching bribocracy and, and bureaucracy. So, <clears throat> all right. Matthew Littlejohn, what are your odds for Justin Trudeau to be forced out or to resign? I don't know, man. You know, uh, realism, optimism, it's, uh, it's a tough battle in my heart. I'll tell you that straight up, friends. It is a tough battle in my heart to, uh, to deal with this kind of stuff because part of me is like, it's appalling what's going on there. I, I, I believe everything's true. I mean, we'll find out over time. I believe everything uh, is true that the woman is, is saying about him. And uh, yeah, this, this company, SNC-Lavalin, that donated ungodly amounts of money to the liberals is getting preferential legislation and is appalled and owns the prime minister's office, it would seem. And, and, you know, we'll find out over time how this all shakes out. But uh, I believe that it's true because I've been alive and awake for more than three minutes uh, of the day. So it's absolutely appalling. But I always go back to that moment in the car. That moment in the car. When I was in the business world and I was driving with a salesman, and we had a long drive and the radio was on, and all of the news was coming out about Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky and blowjobs. And I mean, this was even before all of the serious accusations of rape activity came out. But I remember being back in that car. And I remember thinking, wow, that's it for him. You know, he's, he's toast, man. The feminists are going to go nuts. And and the media is going to be appalled because I was always told, you know, disparities in power are terrible. It's exploitation. It's a kind of rape. And what, is a, what bigger difference in power could there be between the most powerful man in the world with his finger on nuclear weapons and, what was she, 21-year-old intern? Come on. He's using her like his personal Geisha, geisha Kleenex. And I remember thinking, man, that's it, man. This is, this is the moral fiber of society is going to assert itself. The leftists are going to redeem themselves by forcing this creep out of office. And what happened? Well, I mean, he was impeached, but he didn't get kicked out of office. I mean, and now he's an elder statesman and he gets speech money all over the world. And the guy was a complete, 
predator, as far as I'm concerned. There's this awful moment that happens, as you know, and this is an awful moment, we've all experienced this, this is an awful moment that happens when you realize that the ethics people talk about are complete bullshit. They're just lies. They're just manipulations. They're just pompous one-upmanships that allow you to bully and dominate those under your control and under your power. It's wretched, absolutely wretched, when you realize that the ethics that society pounds its chest on and preens itself before and virtue signals about how wonderful and great and moral it is. And when you finally realize that we live in a post-ethical world. I mean, I'm trying to bring ethics to a post-ethical world. You can check out my free book, Universally Preferable Behavior. But it is, uh, it's wretched when you realize that the feminists don't care about sexual abuse, sexual exploitation. They don't care about power disparities. They don't care about the patriarchy. They just care about continuing to have the right to kill babies in the womb to continue the tiny murder factories of abortion clinics. That's what they care about. They don't care about anything else as far as that goes. So it's a very, it's a moment. So when it comes to Justin Trudeau, what's going to happen? If there's a way to keep the pressure on, then it may be that uh, he will be forced out. I don't know who's going to replace him though. I mean, the entire prime minister's office is according to the woman who, like the ex-attorney uh, general, is entirely compromised. So who on earth are they going to put in instead? I, I mean, I know what I'd do if I was in his position and had no ethics, is you just pretend like nothing has happened and you wait for the $600 million you showered on the mainstream media to give them the, uh, like, they have to feign outrage, right? The mainstream media can't be this obvious, right? Oh, well, you know, he's fine. It's not a big deal because they just bought and paid for, right? So they have to have articles that are critical of him and very critical of them. Some, uh, you know, like he should think about resigning. They have to have that. Otherwise, it's, they have no credibility. I mean, they have no credibility to anybody with half a brain. They're bought and paid for. But so they have to have these articles to say, hey, you know, we criticized him. We talked about it, man. But there just wasn't enough traction. In the media, they're just like there wasn't enough traction among the people, they'll say. The people lost interest in the story, so we stopped reporting on it, which is not true at all. The media has kept this Russia collusion lie, this Russia collusion destructive conspiracy theory. They've kept that going. Oh, I'm blurring out here on it. They've kept that going for, what, two years now, something like? It's uh, really quite something. And... Sorry, let me just fix that up. There we go. Um, naturally, of course, I told it to not auto-focus, but what's it doing? <laughs> well, like me, it has an auto-focus mode. So, yeah, I'm not going to fight around with it right now, but I'm sure we'll survive. So, the media is, they've, they've got some critical articles on the guy, and then those critical articles over the next week or so are going to just fade out, right? And it's going to fade out. And then they say, well, there wasn't any traction, people lost interest, and they'll try and cover it up for the next election. They're going to try and keep him in, of course, right? All right. Um, let's see here. Uh, what else do we have for questions? I think I got that. Uh, Eric Marley says, hi, Steph, love the show. Sorry I can't give more right now. So many people that I love asking for donations. Would someday like to start a collaboration, uh, sorry, a donation coalition? Question. 
Is the free market the best solution for low IQ countries? Well, it is, but the free market generally doesn't appeal to low IQ countries because the free market requires that you understand and process the unseen versus the seen, right? This is all the way back to Friedrich, uh, Frederick Bastiat saying that, you know, if the government spends a bunch of money and creates a bunch of jobs, well, you see those jobs, but you don't see all the jobs that weren't created because the government took the money. So the seen versus the unseen requires a high IQ. It requires that you look at the hidden costs, not just the visible benefits of state power, of government taxation and spending. So it's just not going to appeal to low IQ countries. So yes, but in practical terms, no. It's sort of like saying, is, is calculus a good mental exercise for low IQ people? It's like, I guess it would be, but it won't really happen. All right, Feisy says, what advice can you give as a philosopher to novelists and artists interested in cultural renewal of the West? Thank you for your work. Well, it's funny because I was just actually um, in, in working on the new website today. Oh, and by the way, I have finished my three-hour magnum opus on the truth about IQ. That's going to be exciting. Um, but uh, you, you have an incredible opportunity, which didn't exist when I was starting out my career or not non-career as a novelist and, and playwright and so on. Certainly as far as novelist goes, you can write great work and you can publish it yourself. You can create the audiobook yourself. You can get it out there to people and you just have to be persistent. So there's something that's funny about being a thinker, which is being a thinker, it's very tempting to think what you have to do is sit there and just come up with great ideas, great stories, great novels, great this, great that, great the other. And that's certainly true, but it's not the most important and it's not even that significant a portion of what you need to do. You need to hustle to get stuff out there. For the first couple of years of this show, I spent far more time promoting it than I ever did recording it. Uh, you just have to be out there promoting and promoting and promoting and doing all that funky, not taking no for an answer stuff and just being somewhat annoying, being kind of not aggressive, but you know, assertive, uh, not in people's face in a, a way that's alarming to them, but you know, gently and positively persistent. So, you know, create your great work and then honor your great work by dedicating yourself for at least as much time as it took to make it to get it out there. And it's tough because everybody wants to do the writing uh, and nobody wants to do the promotion. But uh, certainly if you are your own publisher, you can and need to. So uh, that would be my suggestion. Freedom Lover says, what would it cost to do the true history of Mexico going back to Mexican independence? Yeah. I don't really see the market for that. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be corrected, but I really don't see the market for that. I wouldn't be doing it in Spanish because I don't speak Spanish. Sin Compasión was a great movie. I was actually just looking that up the other day. It came out in 1994. It was an adaptation of Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment and one of the best movies I've ever seen. I was uh, dating a woman back in the day who had, it was really quite an amazing experience. She had omnipasses to the Toronto Film Festival and <clears throat> I was not working at the time. Uh, and um, we were able to go and see so many movies, like my eyes literally almost went square. And that was the, one of the movies, there was a few of that, but that was one of the movies that just blew my mind. So uh, unfortunately I can't find a version of it. Uh, there was one for about 140 bucks on Laserdisc or <laughs> DVD maybe, but I think it was all in Spanish with no subtitles, but I would love to, uh, I would love to see it again. So yeah, I don't really know what the market would be for the true history of Mexico, but uh, you know, this is the thing, you know, if, if you have 
something that you want me to do, the key thing to do, it's just a tip as a whole, right? If you, if you have something that you want someone to do, just make it as easy for them as possible, which, uh, you know, you can take that however you like it, but make it as easy as possible. All right, Matthew Kaminsky. Stefan, please discuss the merkel Kalergi plan and statements made by Barbara Spectra, uh, Maurice Samuel, Noel Ignatiev, etc., regarding orchestrated white genocide and the Zionist association with that. And I've, of course, I've heard of this kind of stuff. I haven't really looked into it. Um, and there's so many people talking about it that I just don't know that I can add that much to it. Many, many experts out there. But if you want to look more into that stuff, please do. Uh, Joe K says, since about half of whites support government health care and other subsidies, should whites organize around some left-wing policies in order to deal with immigration? I think I understand what this means. Let me just make sure I, I follow it. Since about half of whites support government health care and other subsidies, should whites organize? Well, I mean, if you put whites into one big blob, sure. But uh, as you know, whites, uh, saying whites is like saying blacks, right? I mean, you're talking about Russians. Are you talking about Italians? Are you talking about Scandinavians? Are you talking about, who knows, right? The last Swedish person. So with regards to, I mean, sorry, this is just taking a moment here. I just want to make sure I organize my thoughts properly <laughs> for once. But um, as far as strategies go, saying, well, we'll accept free healthcare in return for a smaller immigration, less immigration. The problem is once you have free healthcare, then the incentive for immigration goes way up. And so it's sort of like the problem with Trump's economy, right? Like if you have some renewal of economic growth and you don't have a wall, it's like, yay, you know, America's doing well. There's lots of demand for workers. So people come swarming across the wall more. And Murray Rothbard talked about allying with the left way back in the day. So it's something to mull about, but uh, I don't know that there's any magic formula. You know, we kind of hope, a lot of us hope, of course, that there's this magic formula. Like if we, oh, we'll just support socialized healthcare and we'll get control over immigration. And again, it's like, no, no, no. I, I, I keep telling everyone, it's not about some political strategy. If you want to get back control of your country and your culture, you ostracize, for God's sakes. These people who support the left, they want you thrown in jail for free speech. They want you thrown in jail for your opinions. They're happy if black-clad black Antifa members pound your skull against the pavement. They're fine with that. And it's not about love, and it's not about respect, and it's not about tolerance. You have to start ostracizing these ghouls and monsters out of your life. Make them suffer for the horrible, evil, destructive beliefs that they hold. It's personal, it's eyeball to eyeball saying no. If you support me, and forget about the against me argument like taxation as a whole. I mean, just, do you want me thrown in jail for speaking my opinion? Do you support hate speech laws? Do you support uh, violence at, at, at rallies uh, when, when people are getting together to talk about things? Do you support any of this stuff? It doesn't have to be like the against me argument I talked about before. Do you support taxation at all? Forget that. Just the, the issues that you have that are generally accepted by many people, like hate speech laws are bad. Of course they're terrible, right? And if they say, yes, I do, or if they call you a racist, or if they call you a sexist, or a misogynist, or a xenophobe, or alt-right, or far-right, or whatever it is, like all the euphemisms that they have for being a horrible Nazi or whatever, right? If people use that kind of language, get them out of your life. They're monstrous, they're horrible, they're brain parasites, they're destructive. And if they win, you understand, you're going to be separated from them anyway. 
It's just that you're gonna be in a camp or a gulag or behind barbed wire or in a shallow freaking grave, all right? So if you want to save your culture, it's not about, well, how much socialized medicine should be accepted in order to get control, forget that. Make it personal to people. Have them understand that the beliefs that they advocate end up with real people in real prisons at real gunpoints. Make the violence real, cover up nothing. Make it vivid for them. Have someone sit across the family dinner table or the bar or the park or wherever the hell you are. Have someone stare you in the eye and say, yes, men with guns should take you away if you disagree with me. Make it vivid. It's the only way to save them. You're going to shut me. They're addicted to power. They're addicted to resources. They're addicted to destruction. They're addicted to propaganda. So what do you do with people like that? Well, they're addicts, right? And they're willing to destroy entire cultures, civilizations, histories that took thousands of years to develop in an orgy of self-congratulatory virtue signaling. They're addicts to power, addicts to approval, addicts to pompous self-regard. What do you do with addicts? You give them an ultimatum. You understand? You give them an ultimatum. That's what you do. Have you never seen the show? What, I don't even know what it's called. Addiction or something like that, right? You, you give them an ultimatum. And you say, listen, if you stay on this drug, you cannot stay in my life. If you remain addicted to this drug, you cannot be in my life. Here's how it's hurt me. This is standard addiction processing. So what you do, you sit down, you have an intervention. Everyone sits around and says, here's what you've done that's hurt me. Here's what you've done that's destructive. If you do not get off this drug, I will have nothing to do with you. I will cut you off. You are dead to me. Because when they're on the drug, right, if somebody's on heroin or, or, or meth or coke or whatever, if they're on the drug, you have no relationship with them anyway. You only have a relationship to the manipulation that they have that is necessary to get the next hit. There's no relationship with an addict. The only relationship they have is to their own addiction, which means that you are only a walking meat sack of potential manipulation to provide them with what they want, their drug. You can't have a relationship with an addict, whether that addict is uh, alcohol or drugs or sex or money, status, power or political power. You cannot have a relationship with an addict, so don't pretend that you can. And if the person wants you thrown in jail, for disagreeing with them, for having different opinions, for saying I would rather help the poor through charity rather than through the welfare state. Or if they attack you for stating facts, like they say, oh, average IQ difference between ethnicities. You're a racist, you're a Nazi. Okay, well, you're addicted to abuse now. You're just addicted to abuse and you're terrified and you're, right? You're willing to throw me under the bus and call me horrible names because I'm quoting science at you? Come on. Can't have a relationship with these people. So you sit down, you say, you have to drop this addiction to power. You have to uh, drop this addiction to leftism. You have to drop the social justice warrior verbal abuse. Or we have, or I'm going to just basically recognize that there is no relationship and I'm not going to pretend to prop it up anymore. That's how you save society. And it's so weird to me. So I've said this for years and years and years. Very few people do it. Why? What do you think is going to happen if they win? History is very unambiguous 
on this point, it's very clear on this point, what happens when the left wins, especially if you've been out as an anti-leftist, as an anti-collectivist, as an anti-Marxist, as an anti-socialist, right? Let me put on my glasses so that you understand what happens when the left gets into power. They shoot everyone in glasses. Can't have much of a relationship if you have too, too many holes in your heads now, can you? Can't have a relationship with someone if you're locked up. Can't have a relationship with someone if you've been arrested for wrong think. Can't have a relationship with someone if you're sleeping 12 to a bunk in a gulag. So people, it's so weird because people would rather go to war than confront people in their lives about the evil that they're proselytizing. I mean, that's weird. You'd rather get your head blown off than sit down across a table and lay down the law with someone regarding basic human freaking decency. I don't want Marxists thrown in jail. I don't want them to sit at my table and tell me that I should be thrown in jail for being a free market advocate. If you lay down the law, you might shock some people into backing away from the evil that they're unconsciously supporting. I believe that is the only chance we have. It's not a great chance, but it's no chance at all if people don't act. So forget about this. What if we do this or that politically? <clears throat> it's the women who support government health care, just by the way, not the men. All right. Uh, Germa says, I think you're familiar with the Cantillon, sorry, Cantillon effect. New recipients of printed money get to spend before the prices adjust for inflation. Main reason boom is being so evil, the Cantillon effect expresses over time via debt. Let's see. What does this mean? Sorry, I had a minor sore throat for a couple of days. That's why I'm sounding all kinds of Duke Nukem. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I get it. Okay, so there is, I mean, inflation, stagflation did kind of hit the, um, the boomers in the 70s. So they did have some effects of that kind of stuff. I think the boomers were more corrupted by debt than anything else. They were corrupted by debt, and the left did a wonderful job of building the case for anti-scientific, radical egalitarianism, because, and listen, there was some great stuff in it too. Like I remember when I was a kid, people like Sidney Poitier and, and other great um, and noble and wonderful black actors. I remember as a kid uh, reading, um, I know this was when I was in Canada. This was in grade eight or grade nine, reading a, a pretty good play called The Raisin in the Sun. That money was made from my daddy's blood. Sorry. There's <laughs> a reason I've never played. Well, there's more than one reason why I've never played in that play. But... Um, so, you know, bringing the humanity of, of blacks, which had been um, thrown under the bus, uh, under segregation, Jim Crow, and, and uh, other government programs, of course, it was good. But then, you know, the pendulum went too far, and it's like, okay, well, now um, one can't, you just can't talk about facts. And they actually worked very, very hard in the 60s and early 70s with uh, Richard Lynn and others to, to just suppress ethnic IQ differences, racial IQ differences, on average. And they did a great job of just taking that 
those facts, those realities just out of the conversation completely. So, so then, of course, if you believe that everyone is completely equal no matter what under all circumstances is radical egalitarianism, then, of course, well, the only reason that the poor are poor is because they don't have money. It's got nothing to do with mindset. It's got nothing to do with IQ. It's got nothing to do with bad decisions or anything like that. So, and if you believe that all groups have the same IQ and that everyone immediately adapts to the culture that they are placed in, then why wouldn't you want, you know, people from Somalia coming into your country by the millions, right? But of course, the reality is, is that we already knew that in particular ideology is not changed by geography. Because the Marxists who came to America after the Second World War, sometimes during the Second World War, sometimes before, the Marxists who came to America, who came to the West as a whole, did not immediately become capitalists the moment they, they set foot on relatively free soil, right? They stayed Marxists, which tells you all you need to know. I'm sure that there's a genetic component to Marxism as well, because there is a genetic component to ideologies uh, as a whole. So I think that they were corrupted by not having right information and by having debt. And, uh, and remember, the one thing I will say about the boomers as well is that in, in this age of the Internet, you know, for the, for the younger folk among you who don't know how to whittle and wear suspenders with pants up to your nipples, but um, it's hard to throw back your brain in time enough to appreciate how virtually impossible it was to get any kind of word out there before the Internet. You could have your little meetups, you could have your little conferences, you could, but as far as getting messages out to a wide or large number of people, the, you know, the phalanx, right, the deep dive that the Marxists and leftists did into the institutions, right, they took over academia, took over publishing, took over the media, took over Hollywood, took, you name it, right? So it was, you know, virtually impossible. Well, other than like Atlas Shrugged and maybe one or two others, you know, what was the last great minarchist or objectivist or even libertarian novel that, that was out there and had any success. Lots of people are libertarians, lots of people are minarchists, right? It's what I said before, like, when have you ever seen a movie about a woman who's incredibly bitter and unhappy that she didn't have children when she was young? Like, I just read this story. There was this woman who was on, I think it was the cover of Business Week four or five years ago. She was in her late 30s and she'd frozen her eggs, you see. She'd frozen her eggs so that she wasn't pressured to have children because she was really enjoying her job being a marketing rep for big tech companies. Yeah, that matters a lot when you're 70. So she'd frozen her eggs. She's like, oh, what a relief. Whew. Now, what happened was in her mid-40s, Mr. Wright still hadn't come along. <laughs> no kidding. You're in your mid-40s. Come on. Of course, Mr. Wright hasn't coming along. And of course, you know, they say, well, Mr. Wright hadn't come along like it was just some, yeah, she had tons of men around. She's in a tech, she's working in the tech industry. <laughs> There's no men in the tech industry. It's not what I've heard. So what happened was she was like, got, got to her mid forties and she was still unmarried. And she's like, oh, I'll just, I'm gonna unfreeze my eggs. I'm gonna have my own baby. Garbage, no thought about whether it's good for the child or not to grow up with a single mom who's still a careerist. But so it turns out, you know, like one of the eggs hadn't survived, survived freezing. Five of the eggs were abnormal. Uh, something else happened. One of the eggs, one of the eggs was like, okay, this is the last egg. We're throwing it in there. And it just, doesn't that seem a little weird? 
I did this uh, call on the Peter Schiff show years ago where this woman was like, no, it's perfectly normal to sit in a toilet in a business and have a robot suck baby juice out of your boobs. <laughs> it's so normal. And if you have like, if your, if your eggs come with like dry ice, that's a pretty freaky way to make, to make a baby, you know? Like you gotta, you could, you gotta go in in your hazmat suit to go and get your absolute zero eggs and bring them out in giant tubes like Jurassic Park. And then you, you gotta get a giant, not a hot beef injection, but a cold steel injection to first suck out the eggs, throw them in the deep freeze, pull them out, swill them with the sperm, like your shaken, not stirred martini, and then inject it back into your body by stabbing through your abdomen. It's like, do, do you ever get the sense that you might have drifted a little bit far from a snog and a snore and a baby? It's crazy. I mean, the, the fact that, like, what people are able to adapt to and willing to adapt to is, is very surreal when you think about it, right? So she, the baby they implanted didn't make it. Was it going to come out like Mr. Freeze? <laughs> this is how you get the superpowers. It's going to be like the next superhero villain is like, Free sperm. <laughs> Able to wither eggs at the supermarket at 40 paces just by smiling so much that you get crow's feet on the side of your head. Able to repel Mr. Right, who showed up in your 20s, but you were too busy doing other stuff. And, uh, oh, it's, it's the most tragic superhero at all. So, so she, this last baby doesn't take, and what does she do? She gets so enraged and upset. She's screaming, she's, she's crying. She throws her laptop across the room. It's terrible. It's terrible. Ladies, 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 ladies. By the time you're 30, 90%, 90% of your eggs are dead. 30, I'm telling you. And 95% of the good men are taken, see? The good men get snapped up quickly. And while you're out bouncing on the cock carousel from place to place and doing your little bits of business travel and staying late in fluorescent lit windowless offices, your eggs are dying. Your eggs are drying there, tumbleweeding up there, rapturing out, rapturing out, I suppose. And, uh, you end up trying to make a baby like a surgeon is trying to save his best friend who died five minutes ago, but nobody has the heart to tell him to stop massaging the heart. It just doesn't work. Have your babies when you're young. You got tons of time. You have your babies when you're 20. You're done by the, by the time you're 30, for the most part, right? Depends how many you have and so on. But the, the major part is done. The major part of parenting is done. I mean, the, the, when the kids are like these bouncing ball death magnets when they're younger and that's when you really got to be alert you know now you know it's a lot easier it's a lot less time intensive if you want it to be so you used to have your babies when you're 20 you're young you're healthy you can bounce back from sleepless nights and then 
you can have your career in your 30. You can study when your kids get uh, older, when they're napping. If you want to get educated, you can go start having your kid. And then, you know, you can work till 70. You got 30 till 70, you got 40 years to have a career if you want it. 40 years. And that's the way to do it because you, 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 drop, you drop it right there. I know you're not supposed to, but you can. You drop it right there in the interview. You say, ah, oh, my kids, I've already had my kids. Oh, I don't want any more kids. Are you kidding me? So that's going to be appealing to an employer. And the other thing too, here's the thing too, right? So if you don't have kids when you're young, you have kids like when you get older, then you want to keep going on your career because it feels kind of stupid, right? To go and get all that education and go and sacrifice to build that career. And then it's like, oh, I'm just going to quit and stay home. I mean, some women do and glad you do. It's good for you, although it's a giant... Giant waste of social resources to train women in all of this technical stuff and then just have them stay home. Uh, all the 40% of women who have MBAs <clears throat> just staying home. It's like, I'm glad that you're staying home, but it's a lot of wasted resources <laughs> in society, right? I mean, just, you know, because changes over time. But um, the other problem, too, is so you, you have the kids when you're in your late 20s, your early 30s. And then you go off to work, you, you, you drop them in daycare, you, you have nannies, whatever you've got. Maybe you've got a parent who's going to, like a grandparent who's going to help out or whatever. But the reality is that you're not really enjoying it yourself, right? I mean, you're not, you're not really enjoying yourself. I mean, uh, it's constant stress. It's constant rushing. It's, you know, getting up early. It's not getting enough sleep of, of any kind. Uh, and you're stressing, oh, there's traffic. Oh, there's snow. Oh, you know, it's raining. Oh, there was an accident. I can't get to the daycare in time. I'm going to be late. It was just stress, stress, stress. And your kids don't bond with you because you're gone a lot of the day. Yeah, I mean, I knew someone years ago, they dropped their kid off at daycare at 7 in the morning and picked them up at 6 at night. Maybe, unless they had to work late. Right? That's 11 hours. Are you kidding me? That's like three lifetimes for a toddler. I mean, you, you, it's like you, you die and you come back to life. Mom's back. <laughs> the Crypt Keeper emerges. Hey, she died this morning. <clears throat> and she's come back to life now. Maybe this is where past lives theories come from. I don't know. But, but because you don't bond with your kids, what happens? Your teenage years are hell. Because there's a power shift, right? You can, you can go dump your kids in daycare and they'll cry. But what can you do? <laughs> I remember, oh gosh, I don't know. My daughter was, I think about six months old. And... My wife and I wanted to go and play squash. I love squash. It's risky over 50, but I love it anyway. But, um, and uh, the, the gym that I was at had uh, a daycare. And uh, we'd had a little bit of, you know, people watching her for a, a little bit of time. <clears throat> so we dropped her at the daycare and we went to go and play squash. And uh, I was doing my second serve when the phone rang and they said, uh, you, you've really got to. You really got to come get your daughter. And she was just freaking out. She was really, really miserable that we were not there. She didn't know these people, right? So, you know, we, we, we stopped our squash game. We went to pick her up. We soothed her. We apologized and didn't do it again. Didn't do it again. And now that we're starting to head into the teen storms, right, it's easy. You know, it's it's... It's fun. We can we can negotiate like the the, the moodiness and the the additional um, <clears throat> emotional 
volatility, which is entirely appropriate uh, to, to this uh, age that she's heading into, and we'll just, we'll navigate, we'll negotiate. Because if you, if you have a woman who has kids, dumps them in daycare, she's got the power. The mom's got the power. Kids can be dumped in daycare. And uh, they got, they got no power. They can't, I mean, they can't say no. I mean, they can cry, but the mom can just ignore them and the daycare workers can just ignore them. I've worked in a daycare, I saw it. So what happens is the, the, the message that when you have the power, you damn well do what you want and to hell with other people. To hell with other people's needs and hell with other people's requirements. To hell with thinking sensitively about what other people would prefer. To hell with that. When you got the power, you do what you want and screw other people. And of course, you drop your kids in daycare, they're going to bond with their peers, not with their parents. So then when they get into their teenage years, which is where peer bonding becomes more important than parental bonding just naturally, they, um, what do the kids say? The kids say, well, I learned my lesson from mom and dad, which is do what the hell you want. And if other people get upset, too bad for them. Like I was upset being dropped in daycare. I was upset having nannies that kept quitting. Nobody cared about that. So why the hell would I care? And then the mom says, you never think about my feelings. You're upsetting. You're out late. You don't call. <coughs> you're not... You're not being considerate. You're not being thoughtful. You're not caring about my feelings. Really? Tell me more about that, Mom. How does that feel for you when I act according to my preferences and don't take your feelings into consideration? What's that like for you, Mom? And they won't get it. Like, they won't, they won't make that connection. They, I mean, they just won't make that connection. Or when the parents get even older, and they become inconvenient, right? And the kids are like, well, well, we're putting you in a home. And the parents say, well, no, I, I want to be with you, your family. I don't want to go to this place with strangers. Really, Mom? Tell me more about that. Tell me more about how you feel that you should spend time with family and be taken care of by family rather than being dumped in an institution with strangers. How does that make you feel, mom? And what's she gonna do? Is she gonna say, oh, well, she won't make the connection. She'll resist it. She'd rather, I bet you she'd rather go to the old age home to make the connection because it's painful. Realize how hard, how badly you've treated your kids. So. So the other thing too, so you're more productive when your kids are in daycare, but then when your kids become teenagers, do women become, and the men I suppose too, but I think it hits the women harder, right? The, the women become less productive at work. Why? Because they're constantly worried about their kids. They're getting phone calls. Every time the phone calls, they're worried. The they have bomb with their kids on drugs. All oh, right. <coughs> it's tough. It's tough. Really, but you know, having kids when you're young, they're bonded, they're with you, they're secure, they're right, happy, you're content. And then if you want to go work later, your work's going to be uninterrupted. A, because you've already had your kids, and B, because you won't be constantly jangled and jumpy and distracted because your teenage kids are going off the rails. So, all right, Joshua R. Paulson, hey, welcome back, says, In the era of constant distractions, how do you renew the capacity for deep work? 
Mm, I was just thinking about, oh, look at this. I gotta say this woman, I just saw this comment here. This woman, Jessica B. Yeah, yeah, every parent is evil except you. We get it, Molly. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. <clears throat> that is a very sad, sad statement, but it's unfortunately quite typical if you are in fact a woman. It's very sad. It's very sad. I have uh, parents I know who are good parents. I have parents who write to me who are good parents. Not that I mean, don't need to be defensive about this. But this is the problem is that, my dear, you are doing something which is very typical, which is what I'm saying is making you feel bad. And instead of dealing with your emotions, you're attempting what well, you are attacking me, right? That's stupid. I am not the cause of your unpleasant feelings. And attacking me in an attempt to master those feelings only makes them worse. If you feel bad because of something that I have said, then you can say, I feel bad. I feel bad after you said something. You can't say, I feel bad because you said something. That's not true. Somebody could say to me, I hate your hairdo. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to pretend I have a massive choice unless I start curling my nipple hair. So people's words don't make you feel bad. It's your interpretation and your application of those words that makes you feel bad. Because if you don't understand that, then you end up having to control what other people say, right? So here, this Jessica B says, yeah, yeah, every parent is evil except you. We get it, Molly, right? So she, this is a form of remote control, like just so you know, right? so you can sort of understand all of this stuff, because I'm sure this happens to you on a regular basis. And so she is trying to get in my head and have me not criticize parents because she wants me to get the impression that everyone thinks I'm just pompous and praising myself about parenthood and it's emotional and it's vanity. It's not moral space. It's not ethics based. It's not out of a desire to sincerely help people have better family lives. It's just vanity and preening and so on for me. So then if I internalize that, right, if I internalize what she said here, then I will diminish my criticism of parents because I'll say, oh yeah, well, is it just me being vain and right? You understand, right? So she's trying to get in my head and she's trying to stop me. She's trying to control me from speaking my mind, from speaking important truths to a world that, you know, not a whole lot of massive places where you're going to get it. There's this show and a couple other shows and so on, but it's hard to get, you know, honest, blunt truths in this world, <laughs> blunt force truthiness. And so she's feeling bad. And so she wants me to stop saying the words that make her feel bad. I'm not going to, just so you know. I mean, I, I know how all of this works so well. You, you think you're the first person to ever try, <laughs> ever try this stuff on me, my dear? Oh my goodness. You are a rank amateur compared to the monstrous of manipulation that I grew up with. Now, she's not sitting there saying, <clears throat> well, I feel really bad based on what Steph's saying. I feel really upset and angry. Now, maybe she was dumped in daycare. Maybe she has a kid who she dumped in daycare. I, mean, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. It's something like that for sure. And rather than say, oof, you know, I, 
what he said is really hitting me in the feels, like it's really making me upset. I better, I better sort of figure out what's going on for me so that I'm not a jerk <laughs> to someone, right? And that's self-ownership. That's empowerment. But instead, she wants me to stop saying the words that are making her feel upset. This is, you understand, this is where hate speech laws and all that come from. It comes from uh, women's uh, rawness and hypersensitivity to language. Because how do men fight, right? Weapons and guns. How do women fight? Words and ostracism, right? So words, <laughs> words are weapons, sharpen the knives. But um, yeah, words are weapons to women, right? So she feels aggressed against me, so then she's verbally abusive in, in a way back, right? And that is uh, it's very sad. It's very sad. And a lot of women do this kind of stuff. I mean, some men for sure, but a lot of women do it. And it makes politics very complicated. It makes civil discussions maybe very complicated. It makes debates very complicated. Um, I was talking about single moms with someone the other day, and, and the woman uh, got, uh, she was offended. She was upset. It's like, what does that have to do with anything that you're offended and upset? So we, we can't talk about facts anymore. We now have to deal with your feelings. But that is a, and <clears throat> that kind of sensitivity is very, very good when you're raising children. It's just not very good when you're trying to talk about facts, reality, and ideas. So, yeah, it's, um, the, and that kind of eye-rolling sarcasm in someone, it's very sad. And I'll just tell you this, Jessica B., which is that, this habit, this habit you have, and of course it's a habit, right? But the habit that you have, it costs you so much. Like, it costs you so much, I can't even express it to you. It costs you intimacy. It costs you love. It costs you security. It costs you self-respect. Like, how dare you be mean to me when I'm talking about how to be a better parent, right? How, how dare you imply that it's some sort of pompous, self-praising ego trip? For me, right? You, you know how hard I had to work to be a good parent? You know where I came from? This is like being raised by wolves and then having to learn Japanese, right? This is, this is, this is not an easy journey for me. I worked really hard for it. I worked so hard to be a good parent. And before I became a parent, when we were trying, hearing the stories from my listeners whose parents were mean and vicious and abusive and neglectful, was a kind of torture because I knew how great I could be as a parent after all the work I had done and it was taking a while to get there. So it's a lot of work and I have tried to share that work with people and I get countless messages from people saying, thank you so much, my parenting is so much better, our family is so much happier, my kids respect me, we've stopped spanking, we've stopped yelling, we negotiate, we're peaceful parents now. So that's how I dealt with my pain, Jessica. How I dealt with my pain and my trauma was a commitment to heal myself so well that I'd be overflowing with healing that I could help bring to the world. That's what I did when I was hurt, was I found out how to overcome that hurt, how to turn it in the opposite direction. It's the greatest alchemy. Philosophy is the greatest alchemy for turning evil into good. And that's what I did with my hurt. And now what do you do with your hurt? You bitch and you snip at people and you're sarcastic and you're mean and you're vicious. What's that going to get you in your life over time? Who's going to love you 
when you act like that? Who would love you? Who will put up with that? People who are fearful, people who are self-hating, people who are guilty, and people who are equally abusive and manipulative. See, everyone keeps trying to throw these nets over me in the world. It's not just this. This happens a lot, right? Everybody keeps trying to throw these nets over me. Like, you understand, they fall off me and land on you. It's not me that you're entrapping here. I have a wonderful family life. I have great friends. I have wonderful relationships. I'm very happy. But you stay in this, like there's a price for what you do. There's a price for what you say. There's a price for how you manifest in the world, in the hearts and minds of others. Nothing is free. This spewing of venom because you can't deal with your own emotions or you refuse to deal with your own emotions come with the highest price that you could possibly imagine, which is you will live a life of loneliness, of lovelessness, of lack of connection, of lack of intimacy, of fear of yourself, of being afraid of yourself and how you will behave and pretending that you're someone other than who you are because you allow yourself to indulge in this kind of aggression. And I'm not saying this is a curse. I'm saying this as a reason to change. Because if you keep doing this kind of shit, Jessica, there ain't one damn decent person in the world who's going to be within, want to be within 50 miles of you. I don't want that for you. You don't want that for you deep down, do you? You could have said, Steph, I feel really sad about what you're saying. I feel really upset about it. We could have, I mean, it's not a back and forth like a call-in show, but I could have talked about that. Like, that is difficult. Instead, that's what you bring into the table. Is that who you want to be when you were a kid? When you were a kid and, 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 and you had the dreams about how your future and your life was going to be? And Did you ever say when you were a little kid and you were playing with your toys or you were playing with your friends and you were all dreaming about what life was going to be like when you were an adult? Did you ever say, God, I can't wait till I'm older so I can throw bitchy, shitty little comments at someone in a chat window? That's going to be how I'm going to manifest and, and take advantage of the glory and independence of adulthood. The free will in a free country, in a free society with amazing technology. I'm going to type shitty little comments to people on the internet. That's my glory. That's my contribution. That's my gift to the world. Snarky little syllables of shittiness. Don't. Don't. Just don't. Just don't. The relief that it gives you in the moment, the, the, maybe the sense of power, the venomous one-upmanship, the leveling that it gives you in the moment, it's not worth it. The long-term cost is like every little cigarette is okay until you get your lung cancer. So, <clears throat> I suppose De Casa says, any more chats with Izzy in the future? Parents to first seven months old son here, you spoke to him in utero at first night for freedom in New York. Oh. Oh, nice. I remember. We plan to have four more and we'll have questions for you. Who are you? What an intelligent little dragon artist you have. Oh, yeah. you got to follow me on Twitter. It's Stefan Mullen. Just posted a picture of my daughter's uh, artwork. It's really uh, a beautiful thing to see. See, that's the cruel thing about kids, right? You make them and then they make stuff. It's like this endless echo to eternity. So, um, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, so, her perspective is that she's still a little um, uh, nervous around the microphone. Uh, and so 
Um, her suggestion is just record me sometime and <laughs> publish it, but you know, I'll sort of mull that over. Maybe we'll just work at being more, um, uh, work at having, at having her be more comfortable with the microphone, more natural with the microphone, but you know, it's, it's a little odd. So we did record another one, which I'm half and half about. It was really quite a lot of tangents, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. So I will, um, uh, yes, call, 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 email if you have questions. Congratulations. Uh, it's wonderful to hear that you had your son and um, <laughs> I spoke to him in utero. So yeah, just keep playing the podcast so he bonds with my voice. <laughs> That's my suggestion. Joni Bologna. Idea. Oh, this white people. W-Y-P-P-L. White people breed when settling wild frontier. Maybe the invitation of destructive cultures is our reproductive cycle. Eucalyptus trees invite fire with flammable sap to grow stronger in the end. Oh boy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's a big topic. That's a big topic. But, um, you know, the comment section is really fascinating to me. I confess to being a little addicted at times. But, because people say, you know, with regards to diversity and the significant potential for massive conflict down the road. Yeah, oh, we're a warlike species. We've missed war and we, we thrive in war. And it's like, like, yeah, I don't, I don't like to think that. I don't know because humanity surprises me all the time. I'm still working on not mistaking the world for myself. Oh, I'll just speak reason to the world and everything will get better. <laughs> right. So, I don't know. I don't know. I think... If it was natural, it wouldn't need to be so propagandized and manipulated, and there wouldn't need to be all this punishment. Like naturally, we like sugar, and and naturally we like fat, and so we don't need a whole lot of propaganda to eat sugar and fat, and kind of we kind of need facts to avoid that kind of stuff. So I don't know that it's natural. Anything that comes from the government is really hard to be uh, natural. All right, esoteric dichotomy, good name, says hi, Steph. I am mixed, black and white, and I'm interested in. A voluntary society. How can this concept be brought to minorities instead of dependency on a coercive state and toxic identity politics? Well, see, when you're talking about minorities, I need to talk. I need to know whether you're talking about high IQ minorities versus lower IQ minorities, right? The East Asians versus, say, the Hispanics or the Mestizos and the Blacks, right? So, the one thing that I think is really important is let's at least stop hating each other based on lies. You know, it's really, really important that we stop hating each other based on lies. That's so essential. I'm spending a lot of time on Twitter on that. I've done it on podcasts and videos in the past, you know, with slavery and, and all that. So, you know, when people hear that the Muslim slave trade stole more whites from Europe than whites ever stole blacks from Africa and put them in America, Right, like a million, more than a million whites were taken from Europe by the Muslim slave traders through the Dark Ages and the early Middle Ages. But only about 350, 400,000 blacks were taken from Africa and brought to America. So did the whites get to go to the Middle East for reparations? Couldn't even get the oil companies back that the whites built. So once people understand I would say this to blacks as, as well as Hispanics, but mostly for the blacks in particular. So first of all, it was not paradise. There was no natural, wonderful, noble savage that was Graham Greene style traversing the plains, using every part of the buffalo. It's total bullshit. 
they wasted most of the buffalo. And the moment they got guns, the Indians killed the buffalo like crazy. There was rape. There was cannibalism. There was near genocide among the natives. There was child sacrifice, child murder, pedophilia, you name it, among the Mayans and the Aztecs and the Incas. I mean, it was a brutal, horrible, vile, disgusting, multi-thousand-year horror pit of cultural degradation. And why did they never advance? I say this as a smart guy, and, and you listening to this as a smart man and smart woman, you should really care about this. Why did these societies never advance? Why did the Aborigines in Australia, well, 40,000 years they had the continent, barely any advance at all. Why? Why do they still have an IQ in the 60s? Why? Because. Because every time a smart person came along, what did they do? They killed him, or they ostracized him or her. So they killed him either physically or they killed his gene reproduction by shunning him sexually or, or kicking him out of the drive. That's why the high IQ genes never took root because every time a smarter person came along, boom, you hit him on the head with a rock because he's evil. He thinks for himself. He's bad. He questions. The Aborigine society, and I've, I've done whole speeches in Australia about this, you can check out, but the Aborigine society in Australia has been called the, has been called the most conservative society in human history. They don't change, they don't question, they don't anything, right? Which means when they do get someone along who questions, who criticizes the beliefs of the tribe, they just kill them. Okay. So you, you can kill every smart person who comes along, and guess what? You've just killed any capacity for progress, for growth, for challenge, for change of any kind. Now, <clears throat> don't get me wrong, European white Christian culture We've killed our fair share of geniuses. You know, you could even argue one of them got nailed to a cross, right? So we've, we've killed our fair share of geniuses. But we've let enough live that we can progress. And 19,000 years people lived in California before Europeans came. 19,000 years. Look how much the world has changed just in the last two or three hundred years. Just look at the last hundred years. We, hundred years ago, we just learned how to fly, like Orville and Wilbur Wright style, 150 yards or whatever the hell it was, right? Now, it's been what, almost 50 years since we went to the moon? Theoretically, as <laughs> people say, right? So, they are stuck. They are stuck. Those cultures were stuck. There's no progress. No progress in Africa. And when you remind people that the slave trade between the Africans and the Muslims went on far longer than the slave trade ever did between the white Christians and the blacks, the Muslim slave trade went on for well over a thousand years. The Christian slave trade was a couple hundred. The Muslims took, what, 80 to 100 million blacks? Not a lot of blacks in Middle Eastern countries. Why? Because they were castrated. One, only one out of ten survived this brutal operation. They sawed the testicles and the penis off. Can you imagine? There's no anesthetic. There's no... It's not an operation. It's a mutilation. So, white, Western, Christian, Europeans participated in the slave trade in Africa for the shortest amount of time took the fewest amount of slaves, didn't castrate those slaves, 
And who gets blamed now for slavery? Well, whites. I mean, it's, and, and whites, of course, worked to end slavery. And a civil war was fought in America, and the popular narrative is a fought to end slavery. We'll go with that. You had a one in four chance of dying in that war. And even if you survived, pretty badly mutilated. And I mean, it was an unbelievable, hellish war. Was it 800,000, 650,000? Incredible numbers of men died for that. Where was the war in the Middle East to end slavery? (laughs) Some Middle Eastern countries are still practicing slavery. So, if we can just stop hating each other based on lies, and, and slavery was a government program, and Jim Crow was a government program, and segregation was a government program, and the reason that Rosa Parks was in the back of the bus was a government program, the bus didn't want to annoy blacks. Blacks were poor. They took the bus a lot. It was the government that forced the bus company to put the blacks in the back. Government has always been the enemy of the blacks, as far as this stuff goes. Whites couldn't survive in Africa. Too many mosquitoes, too many tsetse flies, too much sleeping sickness, too much malaria, too many predators. Whites couldn't survive in Africa. They didn't go in and catch the slaves. The slaves were caught by the African chiefs, the African warlords, the African governments. Ghana recently apologized for all of this. I'm not making this stuff up. You can look it up yourself. It was the blacks and the Muslims who created the slave trades and the whites dipped into it for a little bit of time and ended it around the world. Well, no good deed goes unpunished. So I would say that once we get, let's just say blacks in this instance, once we get blacks to understand that the history they've been taught is a history told to them by leftists in order to weaponize them against whites. And boy, you, you want to see something? You want to see something? Oh, I'll tell you this. You want to see a regretful population coming up, my friends? Oh, my gosh. I will tell you something, man. I will tell you something. You want to see a regretful population? You want to see a population that misses white people? You wait till the Chinese finish their takeover of Africa. The Chinese are very woke on race realism. They're uh, under no illusions. And if you want to see we really miss the whites, just wait until the Chinese finish their takeover of Africa and how it goes from there. All right. Uh, 1972 Challenger says, hey, Steph, great work on the Poland dock. Do you see a realistic scenario for secession in any U.S. states given the stark contrast in political ideologies between the coasts and the middle? I think they're going to try. Uh, and I think it's going to be very tough. Uh, that's all I, all I can say uh, about that because uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an ugly topic. It's an ugly topic. And I don't have much more to say on it because I'm not much of an expert on this stuff. But yeah, they're going to try. And uh, there's going to be, uh, there'll be, uh, there'll be soldiers in the streets without a doubt. Um, please check out the Poland documentary. I mean, it was for the um, 100th year anniversary, but trust me, it's a universal doc around for much Wider and more topics than that, you can get it at fdrurl.com forward slash Poland. fdrurl.com forward slash Poland. All right. Couple more, couple more. Almost so much fun to chat with you guys, I'm telling you. Arminius Kalgakis. 
says, beside the fact that everyone is racially preferential, meaning racism is human nature and normal. Yeah, well, certainly in-group biological genetic proximity preferences uh, is how human beings evolve. So denying that is kind of silly. All right, DeJoint Ritual says, would you ever have Kurt Doolittle, founder of Propertarianism, on the show? Predict Civil War conversation would be interesting. I don't know that predicting Civil War is making anyone a particular genius at the moment. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I've, I've heard about Propertarianism. I don't know much about it, so I will... Uh, I will, uh, I will, I will mull it over. Let me, let me put it to you that way. Okay, let me say, I'm trying not to miss too many of the, uh, of the super chats because I really do appreciate them. But don't forget, fdrurl.com forward slash donate. You know, this uh, <clears throat> level of value in, in spontaneous conversation comes out of many, many years of preparations. And uh, if you would really like to help me out, like let's say that you're listening to this after for heaven's sakes, after, why would you? But let's say you were listening to this after. I know why you would. I mean, why wouldn't you be here live? It's so exciting. But um, uh, if, uh, um, if you're listening to this afterwards, of course, the Super Chats are done, but you can again go to fdrurl.com forward slash donate uh, or freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. Not long for freedomainradio.com to survive. Well, it'll still survive and probably just redirect. But, um, sorry, I'm just making sure here. So I just, there was a way, I saw this actually at one point. I saw a way to get, I accidentally zoomed myself into 500%. <laughs> I'm getting the top part of an A. All right, hang on here. So, uh, I think there's a way to get super chance in one concentrated place. Ah, uh, here we go. Ah, oh, I found it, my goodness. All right. Uh, Stefan, how do I, uh, Eric... Barris Jr. says, Stefan, how do I teach my daughter to be proud of her European ancestry against the overwhelming hateful propaganda of the state who wishes to see it exterminated? Well, don't... Don't expose her to that propaganda. I mean, or if you, if you, for some reason you have to, then make sure you follow it with her and, and break it down with her and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, you just have to, right? All right. How to convince and prepare family for a dollar crash? Uh, tons of prepper channels out there. I'll let them take that. Uh, spontaneous human combustion, if you don't mind. Uh, let's see here. Alex Glass says, not seeing much libertarian, libertarian response on this. Thoughts on neo-reactionary arguments against free society because it can't preserve liberty. Hmm. I don't know. I'm going to, I'm sorry to be annoying. I'm just going to refer you to my books, um, Everyday Anarchy and Practical Anarchy for that. I don't want to redo those discussions here. Uh, that Moose says, I have a lot of good discussions with coworkers. A question that I proposed to them was, if you were not in debt, would you do the job you do? It was pointed out the property tax is perpetual debt. Yeah, the government owns your house. You just rent it from them through property tax. Favorite Kanye album. I, uh... Oh, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a big fan of, of rap. I know he doesn't just do rap, but I'm not a big fan of, of rap. I thought Gold Digger was a fun and kind of red pilly song. But um, I guess a couple of rap songs. I mean, it's kind of cheesy, but uh, I liked Ella Funk by uh, Black Eyed Peas. They've got some, some pretty good stuff. And uh, I mean, Where Is The Love is a, is a pretty great song. But uh, no, I don't really have much of a favorite Kanye go-to. Uh, go-to, let's see here. I'm sorry, Wolfpack Crypto, so I can't quite follow that one, so I'm not going to read it out. Uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah. Um, can you talk about your homeschooling experience with your daughter? Is curriculum-based 
Uh, is the curriculum based or is it more of a um, unschooling approach? No, <clears throat> not unschooling. Um, we're definitely following a curriculum and there's some very useful stuff in there. And um, the, the way that you, you educate is through conversation, through questions, through challenges, through problems. And how would you solve this? And let's say this happens. And then what would you do? And all that. And just teach people how to reason. And of course, I get a lot of education in through my daughter through role playing, which is basically verbal Dungeons and Dragons, where it's all problem solving, negotiations and discussions. And we haven't rolled a dice in months. Uh, and this has been going on. We have been doing this world for close to three years now. And uh, we will role play probably five to seven hours a week. Uh, so I have a little gym in the basement and uh, so she'll come down, she'll sit on the bike machine and I'll do my weights and, and uh, all that and then we'll swap. And um, <clears throat> we just, we do a lot of role play and uh, it's a huge amount of fun. It takes me back to my days as a dungeon master when I was a teenager, also my novel writing. So it's lots of creativity and all that. So she likes uh, trying to talk evil creatures out of being evil, which is very interesting. All right, James P says hi, to which I say hi. Lily Parker said nothing, to which I say. Wolfpack Crypto says, it's time for plan B. There are too many parasites, commies. It's time for who is John Galt. I emailed you a plan. Economy will crash on Trump and free market will be blamed. blamed. It's time to leave. I can't tell you you're exactly wrong. I can't tell you you're exactly right. Uh, Debjeet S says, how do I argue against, you can't talk to your mother like that. She grew you in her belly, and that's just the way life is. Uh, she grew you in her belly, and that's just the way life is. Uh, first of all, slurping up mommy juice through a tube is not an argument. <laughs> There's your gift, everyone. Um, you can't talk to your mother like that. She guri in her belly and that's just the way life is. And you know, that is, uh, I don't know, I'm sorry if you're not Indian, Debjeet, but uh, I have some experience with the Indian culture and uh, that is, uh, it's tragic, really. I mean, if, if the mom doesn't have a better argument than I fed you through involuntary biological mechanisms, then mom needs to up her game a little bit. And what you can do, of course, is you can find it if you want to sort of use the logical wedge, what you do, of course, is you find a time where your mother has ever criticized her mother or ever said anything negative about her mother. And then you say, well, wait a minute, you can do it to your mother who grew you in her womb, but I can't do it with you who grew me in your womb, right? So anyway, that. All right, Stefan, what's your opinion of Vox Day? I like him. I think he's interesting. Uh, he's got some opinions and uh, he's written some very interesting articles lately. So he's a guy well worth following. So. Uh, and that was from Nick Nash. Trouble 666 says, why are so many people full of happy horses shite? You can go a long way to maintaining the bubble of happiness by ignoring facts of reality. On the other hand, you could absorb too many facts of reality and be unable to get out of bed. It's a little bit of a balance. That's all I can tell you. White wolf frosting. What do you think will happen once the dollar finally collapses? Well, there will be uh, ethnic conflicts. Uh, and there will be a, a huge amount of suffering and hopefully uh, we will have our never again moment and never, ever, ever, ever again allow the government to control the currency of the interest rates. Off topic from BR. Hi, Stefan. I am a game developer. What's your revolutionary game idea? Every gamer has one. Be careful. I may copy that. Well, okay, okay, if, if you want. So... 
I've always liked the idea of a game, which is, if you think of the story of Lord of the Rings, it is about the return of the king, right? Which is, you have the Shire at the beginning, which is largely a, I mean, remember, Tolkien was an anarchist. So other than the occasional reference to a mayor, the Shire is basically an anarchic society. It's a voluntary society. There's no government that you can really speak of. And <clears throat> the whole thing is you're threatened and then you put Aragorn back on the throne as the return of the king and yay, we have a king again, right? I would love, if you really want to do a, a story in a game, you would have a game and it could be, um, I would prefer it in a medieval setting or it could be in a modern, modern setting. And the game is that there's uh, an evil ruler and the whole point is to replace him with no ruler at all. And you would have a bunch of paths where you, you, you try to become the new ruler and it doesn't work out. And you try to become, and eventually you're just like, okay, the only way to win the game is to not have a new ruler. And that would be, you know, once that was kind of leaked, but that to me would be a very interesting game. It would be very much against the kind of games that go on there, which are all these sort of StarCraft-y, centralized command and control stuff where you, you just, you treat everyone like peons and you're like this socialist, happy madman of omniscience and so on. But to me, it would be very interesting to have a game which was about the dissolution of hierarchy rather than the maintenance of hierarchy as the military games are or the replacement of hierarchy as a lot of the games are. So the only way that you could win would be to not replicate the hierarchy that you have spent your time uh, uh, fighting against. I think that would be interesting. All right. PJA Gum said nothing but thanks for the support. And uh, let's see here. Which alt-right figure do you respect the most? You know, I, and I hate to be Mr. Don't Know. I don't even know what alt-right generally means. Um, there are lots of different thinkers that I find very interesting. Maybe I'll make a list of them one day. But um, I don't really know who's considered alt-right and who's not. And so I can't really answer that. Sorry. All right. Um, Debjeet says also, which patterns of behavior do men tend to inherit from their fathers and which patterns emerge from needs that aren't addressed and are from mothers? Well, that really depends on the relationship between your mother and your father. So the habits that you will inherit from your father are generally to do with the habits that he, I mean, certainly with regards to women. How you are most likely to want to treat women is how you saw your father treat your mother. Now, if you're from an Indian household, I imagine that your father is stubborn, kind of goofy, and defers to your mom, who has uh, gained weight, still wants to wear a sari, and uh, is, is uh, bitter and... and uh, and hostile a lot of the times. Could be wrong. Could be, could be, could be just a stereotype, but anyway. William Field says, what are your thoughts on Epicureanism? Oh, I'd have to review that. Um, hedonism, live for the pleasure, live for the moment. You gotta have that stuff in your life. I'm not an ascetic, but I'm not a hedonist, right? So you've gotta have stuff in your life that is just there for fun, that's just there for enjoyment, that's just there for pleasure, whether it's a great meal or some goofy video game. I like Xeno work on the iPad. Uh, and uh, so there is uh, times for little bits of fun that's very, very important to have in life because we, we can't be these grim monks of end world staring nihilistic, cross our fingers and hope that shreds of civilization survive the oncoming apocalypse. Uh, that's no way to get through the day. Uh, we, we, we must seize the fun in the day as well as the passion and uh, the purpose. All right. Uh, Stand for Something says, I have a good friend from high school, three years ago, and I want to ask her out, but I'm not sure if she likes me back. How do I ask kindly 
and considerately. Love your content on relationships, Josh. Yeah, you know, it's horrible. It's horrible. Like I remember when I first heard about male privilege, it's like, oh, the, the exciting and joyful male privilege, uh, also known as uh, putting your balls into the shredder of female rejection on a regular basis just to see if you can get a date. Sorry, I'm just getting that focus back. There we go. Um, so I'm a big one for, would you like to go out on Friday? I'd like to take you out on Friday. So actually, yeah, <clears throat> sorry, it's been a while. So I would say, there's a couple of ways you can do it. So first of all, you can have a gathering and you can find out if you like the girl, right? <clears throat> so, I mean, I know you knew her from high school, but let's say she might've changed. It might be something about her life you don't know about. Maybe she's got chlamydia or three babies or whatever it is, right? So what you can do is get a bunch of people together and then say, my friends and I are going to a bar Friday. Uh, be great if, you, I'd love it if you came along. Or would you like to come along or it'd be fun if you come along? And that way, if she says no, well, if she really likes you, she'll find a way to say yes, right? If she doesn't like you that much, or maybe she's busy or whatever. Now, if she says no, but suggests another time, then she's into you, right? Or she's open to the idea. Now, if she says no and doesn't suggest another time, so, you know, you, you know how it works as well as I do. I say, oh, you're going out with some friends Friday. It'd be great if you came along. Love if you came along. Come pick you up if you want or whatever, right? So that's like a low-pressure date. And then you can try and find ways to spend time alone with her when you're out for that evening. Now, if she says, I'm sorry, I can't, I'm busy or whatever, and then it's just that dead silence, well, that's your, you know, sorry, I'm afraid that's your walking papers, right? But if she says, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm busy Friday, but how about, you know, like, maybe we could do something with, then, then she's tough, right? Because if it's a social thing, but she can say, if she says like, next time you're going out, please remember to ask me, or, and then you can just make that happen again, right? Um, if you say, would you like to go out with me? Try not to give her an option where it's easy to say no. And I know that sounds a little creepy, but you know, it's important, right? Because if you're the right guy for her, then you want to make sure that she has the opportunity, as much of an opportunity as possible to taste the uh, deep well of, of Eunice that is, is so good for her. So say, um, yeah, I really, really like to take you out on a date on Friday. It's tougher to say no to that. If you say, would you like to, that's easier to say no. If you say, I really want to, and that's the honest fact, right? I really want to take you out on a date on Friday. Like, I'd love to take you to this restaurant, like whatever it is, right? And she can then say, sounds great, or she can say, I'm busy, or whatever it is, right? But try not to put her in a situation where it's binary, because then it's just easier to say no. And again, she may be on the fence, and you kind of want a yes out of her, so you can show her how wonderful you are, so. Um, but the other thing too is just be frank, you know, just, just like you, you want to ask her out on a date and you know, it's like, yes, it'd be great if this worked out and we made 12 babies together. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the reality of what you're talking about. So uh, just, just make, and make sure she knows it's a date, right? Don't, don't do any of this. Like, uh, I mean, I know the first one is going out with a group and so on. That's more of a feeler. Sorry, it's the wrong way of putting it. That's more of a test drive, so to speak, to see if you want to <clears throat> have a date. But just say, I'd love to take you out on Friday. I mean, every woman knows that that's a date if it's just the two of you and you're asking her out. But, um, but just do it. I mean, do it. You know, <clears throat> if she says no, I have uh, declared myself to, to women in the past. I've, I've said this story before, but there was a woman who had her locker next to mine. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, that's, if that's not a sign from the guys, I don't know what it is. But she was like the queen bee of the junior high school. And I asked her out. Um, I said, do you want to go swimming on Friday? And she said, with who? <laughs> she was asking if it was a group. I can't answer, but I was like, ah, right. So uh, I, I'm so 
happy that I did that though. You know, and I've, I've declared myself to women, I really want to go out with you. And they're like, no, not, you know, whatever, right? Because, you know, they were not smart about it because I'm a great guy to go out with. So that um, just declare. She'll know what she's up to and she'll say yes or no. And the important thing, though, is don't judge yourself negatively if she says no. Like, there's a line from some old movie where, like, they say people who, people who don't live in New York are kind of kidding, right? They're not really serious. And for me, it was always like, okay, well, you don't want to go out with me, but you're kind of kidding, right? Like, you're not serious, right? Remember, a lot of women are attracted to bad boys. So if they're not attracted to you, that's kind of a compliment to you, right? A lot of women are attracted to degenerates. A lot of women are attracted to uh, lazy, uh, abusive, addicted. I can't, it's just, it's... I'll figure it out one day. <laughs> but uh, so if a woman says no to you, it may be because you're a good guy and she just, she's just not into that. And, and it's really tragic and it's terrible, terrible stuff, terrible for the women, terrible for the men. But if you're a good guy, a woman doesn't go out with her, it's her loss, man. I mean, it's her loss. I'm a great husband. I'm a great father. I, I have a big heart and I'm a good conversationalist and uh, yeah so the women you know all the women who didn't you know it's not that many I dated a lot of women but there were some women who said no and <clears throat> sorry <laughs> like you, you missed out you missed out on on a great ride so all right <clears throat> I gotta finish Joshua's uh, let me know how it goes the man Joshua had the question of in the era of constant distractions, how do you renew the capacity for deep work? Well, all right. So I was just thinking about this today. Like, I wonder if I mistake writing on Twitter for being productive. You know, it's not. And that's why I sort of said, okay, I'm going to do a deep dive into the Justin Trudeau scandal, which you should check out, even if you're not Canadian. It's, it's a universal thing about politics. And also, I, I, I did, like, worked for a long time. Uh, on a presentation about uh, IQ, got some help, and uh, thank you again. Because I've really got to work. I got to make sure that I don't think that posting on Twitter is the same as writing a book. You know, I mean, it's, it's it's an art form, and it's interesting, and I'm I'm glad that I do it. But uh, it's easy to sit there and say, yeah, I'm being productive. <laughs> I don't know that I am sometimes. All right, <clears throat> uh, Jason takes Otakis says intellectual dark web without Stefan. What the Hell, bunch of lefties and neocon Shapiro. Ruben is cool, milk toast, but honest. Makes it tough to respect Peterson with the company he keeps. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean it's interesting. I mean I like a lot of what Dave Rubin has done. I like some of what Ben Shapiro has done, and I I enjoy some of Peterson's stuff for sure. But to me, the dividing line is. Uh, if you're not willing to talk about the race and IQ stuff, now Ruben did have me on the show and, and you know, he did, well, he did cut out the bit where he said he agreed with me on something. But anyway, I mean, he, he did publish it and it's got well over a million views. I assume a bunch of podcast downloads. So good. And I appreciate being on there. But that's it, right? Like there's no, there's nothing after that, right? And so it's sort of like, okay, I'll do it and I'm going to try and debunk it or I'm going to let it go out and then that's it, right? And so... I, I knew this. I knew this when I decided to deal with the topic. It, it is the most essential topic, is uh, ethnic IQ differences, because so much race hatred and ethnic tension and frustration and anger and violence and, and so on is, is coalescing around the absence of talking about this kind of stuff. Instead of celebrating our differences, is what we should be doing, 
we're blaming white people for everything under the sun. It's going to end badly. You know, it's, it's going to end so badly if we can't find it. And the only way to stop it, the only way to head off this incredible growing conflict is around race and IQ. Now, I don't know about Ben Shapiro. I assume that he's heard about it. Uh, Dave Rubin knows about it, of course. Um, Jordan Peterson, of course, knows about it. I mean, he's talked about it, but he's also said people get killed for talking about it. It's like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? I mean, these are scientific facts. We need, we need to talk about these things. So to me, I'm, I'm happy to hear the case as to why this isn't, if not the most important, one of the most essential topics to talk about. You, you have to talk about the things which people aren't talking about that are essential. That's kind of the gig, right? I mean, I don't know that we need another the Fed is bad thing has been out there for decades and Ron Paul's done it and Edward G. Edward Griffin has done it and lots of other people have done it. And So what we need is to talk about the stuff that is going to reduce ethnic conflicts and tensions as much as possible. And that's one thing that does it. It's the one thing that does it the most. And I'm happy to hear that's not the case, but I can't understand how that's not the case. So people who know about it, who don't talk about it, All right, so Booker DeWitt said, should I love Steven Crowder as much as I do? Oh, Steve's great. Steve's great. So, um, yes. <laughs> no, more, more. All right, uh, let's see here. My, uh, uh, Issa Martel said, my mother is white and my father is black slash Hispanic. Where do biracial people fit into white culture or black culture or Hispanic culture? Whatever. You know, that's kind of tough. And I, I, I've done this on Twitter. Like... You, I'm you listening to this show, so I'm sure you're an exception. But uh, a lot of people with biracial backgrounds, a lot of psychological problems. There are some health problems and so on, like mismatches and so on between the genes. And it is hard to know where you fit. So I, I do understand that. And you have more in common with me because we're both into philosophy than I do with most white people, or you you do with most black or white or Hispanic or anything like that. So when you leap out of collectivism into identity, into, into authenticity, into the manifestation of individuality or what is called individuation, when you become truly yourself, you're not going to fit anywhere except with other people who've individualized. So, you know, we're, we're all lost souls looking for each other. Uh, found minds, I guess, is a better way of putting it. We're all found minds looking for each other, so... Zach Clogg the Great said, have you ever experienced something that seemed to be supernatural? How do you otherwise explain it? Also tell people to check out my YouTube channel. Well, I'm not going to do that because you just did. But uh, no, I have never uh, experienced anything that seemed supernatural. Except for that great song by Stevie Wonder. All right. Should churches, uh, Deadeye737 says, should churches stick to tradition or accept gay marriage? This is a big issue in my denomination. They should, uh, they should accept that the government should have nothing to do with marriage and they should accept libertarianism. All right. Or anarchism, even better. All right. Uh, why is undocumented income a serious crime, but undocumented immigration is not? <laughs> because undocumented income is needed to pay for undocumented immigration. So one is a bigger crime than the other. All right. I think... Let's see here. Uh, your thoughts on PFAs and PFOA and how would an ANCAP society handle companies dumping such things? Well, in a free society, in an, in an anarcho-capitalist society, everything's privately owned. So nobody wants people dumping their crap on your land. So you'd sue them. 
All right, I think, what are your thoughts on Maxime Bernier and the People's Party of Canada? Well worth looking into and very, very important people to, to look into. So People's Party of Canada and Maxime Bernier, that's M-A-X-I-M-E-B-E-R-N-I-E-R. So uh, that's uh, definitely worth looking into and very, very interesting and very important. John Harris said, hi, Steph, my old friend from high school died today in a car crash. I feel guilty because I hadn't spoken to him much after graduation. Can you speak about life and death and how best to deal with it? Oh, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. I did a whole podcast on this about a friend of mine who died many years ago, who's in my thoughts from time to time. Yeah. I also about, thought about a friend of mine who became a drug addict. And he was very tall and he had big problems with his knees. And I, I sort of looked down on him for becoming a drug addict. But then I thought, well, what if he was given a lot of opiates to deal with knee pain? He used to sit in, in movie theaters and um, he would be like tears coming because of the pain with his knees, right? Knees can be a problem if you're tall, huge problem. And, um, and I just thought, so yeah, it does, it does happen for sure. The one thing I remember, and I don't have the audio for this. So if you ever listen to the song, Hungry Heart, got a wife and kids in Baltimore, Jack. I went out for a ride and I never went back. So at the beginning, Bruce Springsteen does this, yeah, at the beginning of the song. And I just remember my friend uh, driving in the car and um, that song came on the radio. I liked one of my few, I really liked that Bruce Springsteen song. And um, we were just sitting and I just happened to glance over at him. And when Bruce Springsteen went, yeah, at the beginning of the song, he turned around and went, he didn't even say this, he didn't make the sound. He just went, and then went back to driving. And it was... It was so funny. It was one of these things, kind of unexpected. The timing was perfect. That guy could drum on a dashboard like Phil Collins on speed. And um, so the only thing I would say, why, why do you feel guilty? Why do you feel guilty? Sorry, like this, this, the dead must be honored. The dead, no, screw the dead, screw the dead. Why didn't he call you? Why, 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 why is it your job? Why didn't he call you? That's number one thing that I would say. Don't carry this burden like, oh, it was all on me and I didn't call him and I'm so... No, the, he had a phone. He could have called you. And there was a reason why you didn't call him. And if you discover that reason why you didn't call him, then it will free you from the guilt, right? So I hadn't been in touch with my friend from junior high for a couple of years and found out that he died. And it's like, yeah, boy, I remember why I didn't hang out with the guy at a real... When he hit puberty and, and, and afterwards, man, he, he did a terrible temper. He would bully his mother, throw her up against the wall, and, and, and uh, he would um, drive his bikes into, into wall, and he threatened me. And it's like, yeah, he just went kind of psycho in his, in his uh, uh, early to mid-teens. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't do this. He was a funny guy and, and very charismatic in a way. And... Taught me something about physical courage uh, and so on, but I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry the guy's dead, but there's a reason we, there's a reason why you weren't in touch with the guy. This sentimentalization is a form of self-laceration. The real question is to ask is why on earth would you feel guilty about some guy who died that you didn't really want to call? And now, if there was something around you really did want to call him, but you just didn't get around to it and you just kept postponing it, and okay, well then don't do that again, right? That's the only, like, what can you get out of the dead? You can get the lessons that their death is teaching you, the vividness of, okay, well, this is a guy you didn't get in contact with. You can never contact him again because he's dead. So don't do that again. And that's the best honor you can give to his 
to his death. And again, I'm very, very sorry to hear about it. Uh, Matthew Johnson says, nothing to ask here. Just wanted to say I enjoyed hearing you speak in St. Louis and look forward to you returning. All the best. Thank you very much. Uh, Alexis86 says, do you think any part of Europe or Scandinavia will become a caliphate? Well, of course. I mean, unless they change things, the numbers are numbers, right? Uh, Chris Scherer says, Stefan, what is your position on the role of Christianity and nationalism? Do you think anarchism can pragmatically be applied to help our situation? Um, I don't think that we have a choice at this particular point, unless this show takes off in a way that I can't imagine at the moment, or maybe it will. I don't know that we have a choice between rationality and non-rationality at the moment. The only question is, what kind of faith, in a sense, are we going to end up with? So that's, uh, uh, and for me, I would much rather that be Christianity than uh, just about anything else that I can think of. God, this webcam is terrible. Let me just try cleaning it here. I don't know why this is so terrible with autofocus, even when I tell it not to. Am I getting anything there? <laughs> See, the problem is I can't autofocus because I'm over 50, but yeah, it seems all right. All right. Let's see here. Uh, Stefan, you seem pretty ignorant on World War II, and I see you talk about it on Twitter often. Remember, boomer, boomer isn't just an age, it's a mindset. Yeah, all right. Not an argument. Boring. All right. Um, Eric Dondero, subspecies is a better term for humans than race. <laughs> you sent me two bucks. <laughs> this is just funny, because years ago... Years ago, someone donated $2 to me. This is so many years ago. I can't remember, eight or nine years ago, something like that. And I posted, I think it was on Twitter, I said, I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but, and that's all I said, right? I didn't say I wasn't grateful. I said, I'm going to sound ungrateful, but, you know? And I just put the two bucks. And then it's begin, been this like, $1. He, he, somebody emailed me and said, oh, you, 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 you attack people who donate less than $10. And it's like, no, I don't even attack this guy. It's just that. I have to process it, I have to do taxes on it, I have to keep track on it, I have to report it, and so on. So it, it's more trouble than it's worth. So sadly, it's just the way, it's not my fault that government keeps debasing the currency. But the basic argument, I wrote a whole article about this, but you know, people who want to dislike me are going to find some way to do it. It doesn't really matter, right? But um, if you can afford, like if my show's valuable and you only send me two bucks, it's like when I was a waiter. If somebody left a tip of 50 cents, I'd rather they'd left me nothing because 50 cents means that they know that they're supposed to tip, but that's what they left me, right? And so if somebody can afford more and they find the show really valuable, then why not give me five bucks? At least that's worth reporting on, right? And if, if they genuinely can't afford more than $2, then I don't, I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want that money. Please, listen, everyone out there, do not give me your last $2. Please do not give me your last $2. I feel terrible about it. Save it for um, basic food items that you need to survive. So, All right. Um, let's see here. Since 1965, immigration crime has fallen. Thoughts? <laughs> well, if that's true, I don't know if it's true, given that uh, immigration includes illegal immigration and that crime is a, is a crime. But uh, immigration crime has fallen. Well, there is, of course, uh, Roe v. Wade, which was later, which has had an effect on, on criminality. And also, uh, you've got a welfare state, and you've got uh, video games, and you've got cocooning, and you've got neighborhoods where people don't go out anymore. There's lots of things to do with it, right? All right. I think 
that the double dog bear, your first problem, it's not, oh, that's got to be from way back, right? No, that's from today. I thought I saw that before. Barbara. All right. Okay. Um, so I think, I think that's it, right? Yeah, I think so. Wait, did I miss, miss anything? Don Cress says, appreciation from what? Thank you so much. Rhonda Jackson says, Stefan, I recently lost my 23-year-old son unexpectedly. I'm struggling to process this. Uh, I'm so sorry. I'm, uh, my apologies for this. I will try to get to this. Um, I'm just horribly zoomed in. Let me just... Uh... Okay, listen. Rhonda, send me an email. We'll, we'll do a call about it. I, I can't uh, uh, particularly easily uh, uh, chat about that. Um, so let's, let's do a call on that. Uh, that's a good... Uh, a good use of time and uh, I am incredibly sorry for uh, for what you're going through that is very very tough indeed and uh, please accept my uh, uh, condolences regarding that that is uh, incredibly difficult I, I as a parent parent to parent I can't I can't even imagine so uh, but uh, give me a call and um, <clears throat> we can and actually it's interesting because I had a call some years ago, I don't, I very rarely do this, but uh, I did have a call that never got released because I said I would do it privately. And it was a woman who had only a few months to live and wanted to know how she should tell her children. And she actually, I only found out, she actually lived another five or six years. So we had a great call about how to tell her children about, you know, because I, I can't remember if I had faced cancer. I think I was facing cancer at that time, so it was on my mind, to put it mildly. Oh, here we go. Um, I recently lost my 23-year-old son. I'm struggling to process this loss. My daughter is a 25-year-old student, and I'm struggling to find ways to comfort her as she is a student far away, and I'm in the... Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm so sorry. I, 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 I will... Alanis Morissette says, isn't it ironic? Okay, that's two bucks worth it. Uh, Drinky Crow says, do you think it is okay for Owen Benjamin to use the N-word? Um, I probably should care more about that issue than I do, but I don't. I'm a 36-year-old single white man. I can't stand my job. Should I stay in a good-paying job I hate and try and find a wife or find a job I like then love? Uh, I think you'll be of too negative a mindset if you're in a job that you hate to uh, get a good wife. So... Hallorim says, what do you think of MGTOW groups? I believe a case could be made that if any particular group was targeted with their rhetoric, the case could be made that it was a deliberate depopulation attempt. It's a tough call. I really, really understand the MGTOW community. And uh, because I haven't been out there dating for so long, it is uh, pretty, uh, pretty tough to figure out. Um, I think that they should, uh, they should make their case. And you could also make the case that uh, the MGTOWs and the people who ghost and so on that uh, they are refusing to participate in a system that is primed for their destruction. So, Would you recommend teaching your children Polish or other Eastern European languages as a way out? Is emigration to, homo to a homogenous country ethical? Yes, of course. You stand and you fight, and if you can't win, you, you get out of Dodge. I mean, that's perfectly valid. Um, I don't know about teaching your kids Polish, and so you've got to keep it up and so on. Okay, that was from Roll Pepper. Martin Sandgard says, Stefan, have you had your verbal and spatial IQ tested? No, I have not, and uh, I'm not going to. Um, I, I mean, I know, just based upon data, I know that I have an IQ high enough to do just about anything I want in life because I have been able to do just about anything I want in life. 
you know, I mean, I, um, I, I work for, I've worked in just about every industry. I have um, written software that has sold for millions and millions of dollars. Uh, I have uh, directed plays. I've written plays. Uh, I've been an actor. I've done Shakespeare. Um, and uh, I've done sales and, and marketing and, and you name it. Uh, I uh, understand uh, economics. I, I do philosophy. I do this kind of stuff. I, I you know, I mean, th there's no... Uh, practical limitation in anything that I want to do intellectually. So that gives me a very strong sense of where my IQ is. And the reason is some of the stuff I do won't be tested by an IQ test, like the spontaneous creativity that I have in these kinds of conversations. There's no real test for it. I have taken some IQ tests in terms of just reviewing them uh, in order to um, understand how IQ tests work and so on, and I haven't found them to be hard at all. Uh, but here's the basic thing is that I don't, let's say that I have an IQ of, I don't know, 140, 150, 130, 160. What does that matter? It doesn't matter. What matters is the quality of my arguments. I don't want anyone to believe what I say because I have a high IQ. I don't want anyone to doubt what I say if my IQ is tested to be lower than what people think is better. And it, I'm not going to have the highest IQ in the world, obviously, complete, like, like not even close, right? So I want people to focus on the arguments, not the numbers. And I never ask people what their IQ is, and I never say, well, if you want to come on my show, I'm going to need to know what your IQ is. I mean, come on. I have a body of work that stands for itself, and people should not judge me, just as I don't judge others based upon their IQ. So, All right, how do you explain that propaganda is spread through comedy? Peterson, uh, yeah, so uh, Dejoint Ritual says, Peterson is getting attacked by the right a lot nowadays, seen as a purposeful barrier against whites protecting themselves from extinction. Thoughts? Yeah, I've read some of these criticisms as well, which I, the one thing I find a little frustrating with Jordan Peterson is I get this, you know, clean your room kind of stuff, but there's a lot of important stuff going on in the world, and I would be, you know, relatively happy if he said, you know, you, you got to organize, you got to get involved, you got to, you know, self-identify, you got to, you know, what a kind of thing, right? He knows all about identity politics, and just saying, you know, I, I know it's a reduction to say it's just clean your room and so on, but um, it, he could go a little further to say, you know, well, this is, you know, really, really important. Uh, you you got to gather together, you got to find a community, you've got to band together because you know everyone else is, and if if whites don't, we're toast, right? Um, <clears throat> Dave Smith says, I've recently just returned back from patrol. This has been my first chance to see you again on YouTube. My question is based on the financial strength or lack of with the US. I'll post in the rest in regular chat. Uh, sorry, Dave, I appreciate that. Send me an email. Stefan, do you meditate or do yoga? So I do stretching every night uh, before bed and um, I don't sit and meditate. I used to do yoga and I probably will get back into it again. Parenting plus this show is pretty much all my day, so. Uh, Kenny QO says, uh, ethics of Jeff Bezos' wife getting 50% of his wealth despite only doing 5% of the work. Where to make a good partner if you've moved cities? Um, well, hobby groups, uh, particularly hobby groups to do with intelligence is probably a pretty good way to go. Set up a free domain radio meetup group and see who comes. The ethics of Jeff Bezos' wife getting 50% of his wealth, well, it's just garbage. I mean, it's just bribery. It's, uh, you know, when you, when you quit a job or you get fired, you don't get paid. If you, get, if you quit your job as a wife or get fired, you shouldn't get paid. It's ridiculous, right? Men going their own way, MGTOW, contributes to the white genocide because the minorities having kids usually don't get married anyway. MGTOW is almost an entirely white movement. Well, you'll have to tell me how um, 
Atlas Shrugged is a terrible novel then because people going on strike is terrible and I don't think that that's necessarily the case. You can't, you can't, I mean, I will encourage people to find good partners and get married, but I'm not going to encourage men to go and get, you know, divorce raped and, and uh, not see their kids. And I mean, it's just wretched. It's terrible. All right. How do you feel about random acts of kindness towards random strangers? Like giving a guy on the side of the road a ride into town or even giving a panhandler a buck you won't miss. That's from Sean Mons. I think it's nice. I think it's great. I do that kind of stuff a lot. So I think it's nice. All right, I am going to uh, close it down. Oh my gosh, almost two hours. How delightful you people are. Thank you so much for um, having this kind of chat with me. It's, it's, it's a real pleasure and it's a real honor and it's a real thrill to, um, to have these kinds of conversations. So uh, thank you everyone so much. I hope you have a wonderful evening and uh, please don't forget freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. Um, appreciate that. You can check out my documentary on Poland at fdrurl.com forward slash Poland, or you can just search for Poland on my feed. And um, also you can pick up Essential Philosophy, the book. You can read it for free. It's here available on YouTube. I'm very happy with it, very proud of it. It's a great book. It's relatively short, quite lighthearted, and has some great Socratic conversations at the end where I do a little role playing. So I, I hope that you will enjoy that. You can also pick up The Art of the Argument uh, at theartoftheargument.com. Thanks everyone so much. I love you guys to death and um, I hope you have a truly delightful evening and a great rest of the week. Look out for my um, presentation on IQ, which will be out shortly. And thanks so much.